Well, as Wes said, it is a small crowd tonight, but we expected that. A lot of folks are away traveling. Please do remember them, pray for their safety, uh, including Jules and Marvin, they're away as well. So just uh, keep all of our folks in your prayers. Tonight, I am going to begin what might have been obvious um, and what I said in the bulletin last week. I'm going to begin a series of lessons about the Apostle Peter. I really, when I was putting down some of the preliminary notes for this uh, series, I called it the real Peter. And then when I got to looking at that, I thought, well, that kind of sounds like we've been preaching (laughs) the not-so-real Peter. And so I didn't want that idea to be conveyed. But during this quarter, as we focus on being holy in my strength and so forth, I do want to look at various Bible characters and those that we consider to be strong individuals. And I'd like to examine them from Scripture and to really take notice of what I consider to be one of the strongest points about the Bible. And that is that when it portrays people, it really does give a realistic view of them. These are not supermen. These are not superheroes. And that doesn't take anything away from them because we have great admiration and respect and they deserve it. People like a Paul or a Peter or you know, Job or David or any of these people, but they're human beings. I want to look at the character of Peter, and I'm not going to look at everything about him over the next several lessons, but I'm going to pull out aspects of his life, and the first one I want to look at, in fact, the first two, really, will deal with the whole calling of Peter and all of that kind of thing. Um, Tonight's lesson is called, I'm, I'm going to call you Peter, a sort of a southern way of putting what Ed just read for us. But uh, I want us to begin to look at this well-known Bible character. And we'll start off by saying his name really was Simon. If you say Peter in a religious context, most people know who you're talking about. The Apostle Peter, etc., etc. If you say Simon, generally speaking, our thoughts run to some other Bible character named Simon, and there were several, but not to the Apostle Peter first. When I was growing up, and, and even to this day, I have a cousin who's older than I am, considerably, uh, maybe a dozen years or so older than I am. His name is Edward Cleveland White III. Um, he was named for his father, who was named, obviously, for my grandfather. And uh, Edward Cleveland White III, he is known commonly as Pete. And, uh, in fact... He's known so much as Pete that I've even found it that when I've told people that his name, in my family I'm talking about now, even members of my own family, I've told them his name is not really Pete. His name is Edward Cleveland White the third, And they're like, what? Because he's known as Pete. Everybody calls him Pete. Um, and the reason why is because my grandfather nicknamed him when he was a little baby. I don't know, maybe when he was born, but he nicknamed him Pistol Pete. And that got shortened to Pete, and everybody knows him by that name. Now, you probably know someone who goes by a nickname that has so replaced his real name that most everybody that knows him knows him by the nickname. That's the case with Peter. Peter, or Cephas, as it would be in the Aramaic, was really named Simon, which is a shortened form of the word Simeon, and Simeon, of course, being one of those sons of Jacob, if we went back to the Old Testament. He was, in the New Testament, 
our Peter, or our Simon, was the son of Jonah, uh, or the anglicized uh, version of that would be John. But he was the son of Jonah, and hence you get, on, on occasion, Simon bar Jonah, Simon the son of Jonah. And you can see that, for example, in Matthew chapter 16. I'd like you to turn with me to, to Acts 15, though, and just notice how these names are interchangeable, and you do see people calling him both. Um, so if we look at Acts chapter 15, and this was when they met in Jerusalem, if you remember to consider the whole question of circumcision and all of that. And if you look down at verse 7, when there had been much disputing, and of course Paul and Barnabas had made their report and all of that, when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how a good while ago God basically chose me to preach to the Gentiles. And then if you'll drop down to verse 14, when James stands to speak, James, and perhaps very Jewish, and you know, just like his book is very Jewish, James addresses him as Simon, in fact, goes all the way back to his Old Testament given name, Simeon, has declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles. So Peter, Simeon, Simon. Now, why do I go through all of that? Mainly just because I think it's interesting. As you look at this guy named Peter, and I want to talk a lot about this passage in John 1 in tonight's lesson. It's not going to be a long lesson. It's not going to be a hard lesson. But I find that there are several things about Peter that I find really ironic in the whole name business. For one thing, it's ironic to me that his brother was named Andrew. And I don't know if you've ever looked this up or run across anybody discussing this or talking about it, but the word Andrew, the name Andrew, actually means manly or brave. When you look at uh, Simeon or Simon, if you go back to the Old Testament, and I'm not going to belabor it to that point, but if you remember, the name was not one of those stellar, you know, he's God's right hand type names. It was just that God has heard me. And so, and basically it was almost like God has heard me and finally given me this son. But Andrew was one of those names that, you know, wow, to be named Andrew. And when Jesus meets Peter, if we were to notice this in John chapter 1, and I'd like you to go with me to John 1, and we'll just kind of look at this story. And I'm going to start back in John 1 in verse I'm going to jump in the middle of John the Baptist's discussion with the Jews, but as John was defending Jesus. So drop with me to verse 32 of John 1, and you'll recognize this. John bore record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, like a dove, and it abode upon him. And he's speaking of Jesus. I saw the Holy Spirit descend and remain or rest on Jesus. And I didn't know him, verse 33. I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom you shall see the Spirit descending, and remaining on him, the same is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I saw, verse 34, and I bore record that this is the Son of God. Now, if you can kind of picture this whole incident. If you go back to verse 19, you can see this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And they want to know if he's claiming to be the Messiah or who he's claiming to be. And down in verse 23, he says, I am the voice of one crying. and I'm the forerunner, as we often call it. I'm the prophet that God was going to send before the Messiah. 
And then he goes on to talk, you know, they want to know, well, are you the Christ? Are you that Elijah that Malachi talked about? Who are you? He was, in fact, Malachi, Elijah. But he wasn't that prophet that Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy. And he certainly was not the Christ. And he defends that. And he says, you know, the Messiah, I was told that I was going to go out and prophesy, but I was going to see the Messiah. And when I saw that, and I saw it come to pass, I bore record that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. Now, in that audience, and why did I go through all of that? Because in that audience, John had several disciples, students of his, followers of his, those that were believing in what he had to say. And among those in that audience was Peter's brother, Andrew. Not Peter. Peter was not in the group, and that's obvious as you read this. And as we go on, and especially in next week's lesson, it'll be for obvious reasons why he's not in that group. But Andrew is. Andrew, this manly, brave, strong, upstanding man, etc., Andrew is in that group. And so if you'll notice in verse 35, again, it was the next day after John stood, and two of his disciples... And they were looking upon Jesus as he walked, and he said, and John is just looking at him as he's walking, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. So he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's pointing out the Messiah, and he declares Jesus is the Messiah, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him, verse 37, and they followed Jesus, which is exactly what they should do. You turn over quickly, and I'll come right back to this, but look at John 3 for a moment. And when John again is answering, and John again says something like this in verse 28, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that has the bride is the bridegroom, and obviously Jesus he's talking about. I am not that person. I'm the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him and uh, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. No greater example of that than what he does right here. Basically, he is the teacher. He's the prophet. He's the one that these guys are following. And when he sees Jesus, he takes it upon himself to decrease and to increase Jesus. So he's doing exactly what he says in John 3. He says, that's the Lamb of God, and so they follow Jesus. And it's interesting as you go on through here in verse 38, that Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is, of course, being interpreted master or teacher, but Rabbi, where are you dwelling? We would say down south, where are you staying? And Jesus answered, come and see. And they came and they saw where he dwelt and they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. Now that's interesting. The tenth hour is about, by my calculation, about four o'clock in the afternoon. And so there's something very interesting that happens here as far as I'm concerned. And you can go one of two ways, and, and of course interpreters do, and you make up your own mind about it. Either Andrew and this other disciple, perhaps Philip, we don't know, but this other disciple basically go with Jesus, follow Jesus. It's about four o'clock in the afternoon, a couple hours before evening begins, and the, so they just stay with him. And presumably Jesus, if he's doing what he normally does, he'll be talking and teaching, and they'll be sitting at his feet and they'll be listening. 
And if he's following suit with everything that we see him doing in the Gospels, especially with those that are apostles, he will be drawing from the Old Testament. He'll, he'll talk about something. He'll show how it points to him and confirming exactly what John the Baptist has said and all that will be going on. And they would have stayed with him from the 10th hour, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, till the end of the evening, till the next day. Or, Andrew, when Jesus says, come and see, maybe Jesus leads them to wherever it is he's staying, rooming, camping, doesn't say here, but wherever it is he's staying, maybe they accompany him, and then Andrew runs out, and before anything gets started, dinner gets served, the talking really begins, etc., Andrew runs out and finds Peter. Now, we don't know, but I want you to notice the language here. The language just simply says, they came and saw where he dwelt, verse 39, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, about 4 p.m. And one of the two which heard John and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, notice in verse 41, he first findeth his own brother. This is an interesting term here. Because this word for first literally means it could be like we would say before he went or before he did anything else or before they got started, he went and got Peter. So in other words, he would have brought Peter to be in on all of this. It can mean that. But it likewise can also mean Andrew stayed with him listening to all of that and being convinced that indeed Jesus was the Messiah and then the next day, the early the next day, you know, when they got up the next morning, he ran and got Peter and said to him, if you'll notice what the text says, he first found or finds his own brother Simon and said unto him, we have found the Messiah. But again, he could have learned that from John the Baptist or he could have learned that from Jesus and what Jesus had to say. We found the Messiah and of course Messiah being translated the Christ, the anointed one, and he brought him to Jesus. So that's going on there. But the interesting part of this story is the first meeting, presumably, the very first time Jesus physically lays eyes on Peter. In other words, this is their first meeting. You think about someone, I mean, we know as we look at the story and as the story unfolds, and we're going to see in some of these lessons, we'll be reminded of some of this, they're very close. And there's no question that over the next three, three and a half years, they're going to grow very close. And not just close in a, in a working sense of, you're one of the apostles and I'm going to send you out into all the world, but personally. And they're going to be, that is, Peter and Jesus are going to be personal friends. And you know that from the language of the Bible. It's like John. And John, considerably younger than Peter and Andrew, but John will be like a little brother, and you get that picture, no question about it. I mean, all the way down to when they sit down to eat at the Last Supper, and John is reclining on Jesus' chest and all of that. They're close. And it's probably, you know, it's been estimated there was as much as 10 to 15 years difference in their ages. But not Peter. Most people assume Peter is either a little older than Jesus or about the same age. And they're going to become good friends. I want you to think back to someone you're very close to. I mean, now you're best of friends with them. Um, Wes knows a guy down in Alabama that's a best friend of mine. 
And I remember back, and I was thinking while I was putting this lesson together, I remember the, the time when a good friend of both of ours basically came to me and said, I know this guy, I've met this guy, you're going to have so much in common with this guy, I want you to go meet this guy. You know? And so he took me over, in fact he called him and he said, you know the guy I told you about, I'm bringing him over. And so we went over to the house, and I remember meeting him and his wife for the first time. Laid eyes on him for the very first time, had some impressions of him and all of that kind of thing. The very first meeting, and we hit it off. And that was over 30 years ago, and we're still close friends, you know, all these years later. Now, that's kind of like what's going on here, only there's a little bit difference. And the little difference is that that there is, is that one of these two, when they first meet, is the Son of God. So that means he knows some things. Let me back up before I get into that, and I want to mention some things just about a nickname. The etymology of the term nickname, as we call it in English, uh, comes from a word that basically means an extra name. It's a name that's given to somebody. And through history we have people like that where they're really known as by their nickname. Some of them more than, and Peter would be one of them, more than their given name. But it's an extra name. It's a name above. And literally, in the original language, it's a name set on somebody. So when Jesus nicknames someone, he's setting a name on them. He's giving them a name. But I find this interesting. Wes talked about, Wes, it was you, yeah, that preached a sermon a few weeks ago and talked about James and John, the sons of thunder. Yeah. And Wes talked about in that lesson, if you remember, their temper and how they could get so emotionally charged and all of that kind of thing. Because Jesus knows us. I want you to imagine what it would be like, and I know we can't really, but I want you to try to imagine what it would be like If Jesus walked up to me, or I walked up to Jesus, and Jesus looked at me in my mind for the very first time in my life. Now, the reason I say in my mind is because Jesus is the Son of God. I presume, from what Scripture says, and if you're in John 1, go over for a moment to John chapter 2. And look at the very end of John chapter 2, and notice, Jesus did not commit himself unto them because, quote, he knew All men. And that word means he knew them intimately. But notice, all people. And then in verse verse 25, And he did not need that, that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. That's true of God. God knows each of us individually and knows everything about us. So I'm thinking about Peter, and I'm thinking, here's the first meeting. Now, Peter... All he knows is what he's apparently been told by his brother. We found the Messiah. He doesn't really say anything to that. If you'll notice the difference here, when Philip, in a couple of verses, when Philip found Nathanael in verse 45, he said, we found him that Moses in the law was talking about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Jonah, or Joseph, and Nathanael said unto him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He has some things to say in answer to it, but, but Peter doesn't. Andrew says, we found the Messiah. You've got to wonder what Peter was thinking. What do you mean you found the Messiah? I mean, I know you're off out here following John the Baptist, but what do you mean you found the Messiah? He didn't say anything. And then he walks up to Jesus, or Jesus walks up to him, or however that exactly came about, 
but they come face to face. And here is Peter probably looking at Jesus saying, this is the guy that my brother says is the Messiah. I'm going to listen. I'm going to hear him. I'm going to see what, you know, because maybe he had a close relationship, trusting, etc. with Andrew, but he's not saying anything. But when Jesus is looking at Peter, Jesus is looking deeper into Peter, and Jesus knows everything about Peter, just as God does about you or me. Jesus knows exactly who Peter is. Jesus knows exactly what Peter is. Jesus knows exactly the abilities that Peter has. When we look next week, and I'm not going to re- you know, preach tonight next week's lesson, or two weeks from now, whenever it is, next week's lesson. But when we see Jesus call, actually calling Peter, we will see Peter with all the doubts about himself and fears and everything, but Jesus knows. And when Jesus looks at Peter, Jesus cuts all the way to the heart of the character of Peter, and Jesus says to him, Your name is Simon. You are Simon. Notice this in verse 42. You're Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, or Peter, which means a stone, a rock. Now, can you imagine walking up to the guy that your brother says is the Messiah, the Christ, You know from teaching, you're not stupid, you've been raised to know when that person comes that is the Messiah, we are talking about the Deliverer, we're talking about the Savior, and if you're a student of the Bible, we're talking about the Son of God. And now this guy looks at you, and we know from what we will see next week, the guy has doubts about himself, he does not consider himself the rock of virtue, he does not look at himself as being any great, strong individual, and he says the first thing out of his mouth, you are Simon, and you're going to be called the rock. you got to wonder what went on in his head. Me? No. Me? I'm the rock? You sure are. Because I know you, Peter. I know everything about you. We talk about being holy in my strength. When we talk about it this quarter, we won't talk about it from the standpoint of just how strong I am right now. We will talk about it from the standpoint of how strong God knows I can be. That strength that's inside me that God, if I let him, will pull out of me. When you become a Christian, you may not have any idea, really. You may not know what you can do with your life in Jesus Christ. You may not know Matthew 25, the passage that I go to so much. You know, when Jesus went away into a far country and divided to his servants his goods, and he gave to each one according to his individual ability. You may not know what that is. You may not see yourself. And I promise you, that night in Andalusia, Alabama, and that next morning, or Sunday morning, when I went down to the front and was baptized, I would have never not ever remotely considered, go ahead 30 years and you'll be standing in a pulpit in New New Jersey. No way. I would not have even remotely thought of that. It's not what I would have done with my life. It's not what I thought I was going to do with my life. Not a chance. But God knows. 
God looks inside you and sees what is there, and He did with Peter. This, this is a, as much a testimony of the deity of Jesus as anything. You're silent. And it's as much as saying, I know you, I know everything about you, I've known everything about you when you were in the womb, before you were even conceived in the womb. I know you. And you're the rock. You are the one that I will count on to be the rock. And Peter, man, there will be times over the coming months and years, there will be times when he's the rock. No question about it. There will be those incidents like John 6 when he fed the 5,000 and started preaching that hard sermon and everybody turned away and Jesus turns to the disciples and just basically pleads, will you go away also? And it will be Peter. No. Where would we go? You are the Christ. There will be those times for Peter. And there will be those times when Peter will misunderstand totally. And Jesus will say, I'm going to Jerusalem because i got to die and be raised again. Peter will say, no! And Jesus will have to say, get behind me, Satan. And there will be other times when Peter will be so filled and carried away with himself, he will say, no, Lord, I will die for you. And Jesus will have to say, yeah, well, before the night's over, you'll deny me three times. Because I know you, Peter. But I'll tell you something else I know about you, Peter. You're not Judas. And you're not Demas. There may be times when you do that. And they will be less than stellar moments. And there will be times. I wonder, for example, I wonder in Jerusalem when Peter was a glorified hypocrite in Galatians 2 and, you know, worried about what people thought and all of that kind of thing. I wonder if there was any Christian in in Jerusalem at that time, but in that passage, Galatians 2, if there was any Christian sitting back saying, yeah, some rock he is, you know, afraid of what people think, so he becomes a hypocrite. Well, that's a rock, all right. I wonder if anybody ever said that about him in his life. We know people, we know they probably did. But what is it about Peter that Jesus says you're the rock? Because he won't quit. He's the guy that no matter what mistakes, he won't go out and hang himself. He won't lay down. He won't be the person that says, I've had enough. He'll be the person that keeps on going, like we were talking about this morning. He'll get up and climb some more. Now, that's a rock. And I'll tell you something. That's the kind of rock that we can follow. That's that's the kind of steady, committed stone of salvation that you can believe in. If Peter were Superman and Jesus met him and said, boy, you know, you've got a lot of powers. You just haven't tapped into them. And all of a sudden we see super Christian. Well, I'd look at that and I'd say, that's wonderful. But that's not me. I wish I could be like that, but that's not me. But when I look at Peter, can I say, I can do that? I can be like that? I think we can. We may not want to fail you know, in some of those ways that he failed. But when we do, we can say, well, I know what Peter did. And we can get up and follow some more. When I look at this story here, I see Jesus believing in Peter. 
And I'm going to use that phrase again and again as we study what I'm calling the real Peter. Because I think Jesus believes in people. And Jesus looks at someone and sees more than they are. Sees them in a place they just haven't gotten to as of yet. And I believe he does that for all of us. Just like the passage we read this morning, or that I quoted from Isaiah this morning, God is saying to us, I I believe in you. You just believe in me. I'll be there for you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to let go of you. And when times get so rough that you can't make it, I'm going to reach down and grab your hand and pull you up. That's what he's doing with Peter here. So let's go back to this passage as we wrap up tonight. I said it wasn't going to be a long lesson. I didn't mean for it to be. Andrew found him. And let's just start in verse 40 again. One of the two that heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first finds his own brother Simon, and he said unto him, We found the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. He brought him to Jesus, verse 42. And when Jesus beheld him. Incidentally, about this word beheld, It's like our word in James 1, if you remember from the man in the mirror, we talk about not just looking at the law of liberty, but gazing into it. That's his word. He gazed and he looked intently into Peter. He beheld him. Notice that. And when he beheld him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be Peter. The paraphrase. One final thing I wanted to say. Um, I'm trying to find it in my notes. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, something that I, I that I, I meant to say earlier, but that's all right. I'll, I'll go back and pick it up and bring it in the next week's lesson because it, I know what it is. It's something where I was going to bridge to next week's lesson, so let me just say it. I don't know how where it is in my notes here, but anyway, I know what I wanted to say. Peter will go away from this meeting. And I want you to understand that this is not something... We don't know, you know, what goes on here exactly, how long, how much time transpires. Because just to set this up chronologically, if you notice, right after this meeting, apparently everybody goes back to their business. You know, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're fishermen. They go back to their business Jesus goes, if you notice in chapter 2, the third day there was a marriage in Cana. Jesus goes up north of here to Canaan, to Cana, and he goes to this wedding, and then there is all of this. Now, if you'll notice down in verse 13, the Passover was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In between that time, what will take place is Jesus will go out there, and he's going to call his apostles. And so he goes out there... And he doesn't name them apostles yet, but initially he walks up to these four and they're fishing. And if you're Peter, you've got to be thinking. You've got to be reflecting upon this incident. And that's what I really want to get across and I want to leave you with tonight. It's that time in between. Don't know exactly how many days or even weeks in between, but it's that time in between... And we don't know what else might have been said that day, what else Jesus might have taught, whatever Peter might have heard from Jesus. We don't know any of that. But we know that Jesus had said to him, first thing out of his mouth to Peter is, you're the rock. Now Peter will go away from that. And he will go back to the life that he's lived and the life he's known. And we're going to talk about that as we look at the calling and get into it. And especially I'll focus on Luke 5. 
But Peter, if he's a normal human being, had to be thinking about all that. Me? The rock? The stone? Me? You know? And he's considering all of that, and then comes Jesus. I think it's because some of the things that transpire in that story, and we're going to talk about them, I think it's because of what Jesus had already said to him. And he's got all of that going on in his head, and that's going to come out as we see that calling. And it's going to be really a beautiful story as we look at it in Luke 5. But that's for next week, and so I will leave it at that. If you're here tonight, and you're not a child of God, I don't know that there is anyone tonight, but there might be. But you believe in Jesus, and you'll confess that, and you're willing to repent, be baptized for forgiveness of your sins. Jesus believes in you. You will be a child of God. Maybe you're here tonight, and you're looking at your life, and you're saying, yeah, I do identify with Peter. Because I can see the shortcomings in him. And I can see that he wasn't perfect. And yet, wow, God believed in Peter. Does God believe in me? The answer to that is yes. We had a song a moment ago. Beautiful song. And I told Montel when we sang it, I love those words, especially I think it's verse 4 there, the next to the last verse, where I'm looking at the cross and I'm wanting to believe and Satan is whispering to me that his yoke is not easy and it really is not for you. I think probably that happened to Peter. But fortunately for us, Peter did listen to Jesus. And you need to listen as well. Won't you please come while we stand and sing.